It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Penn State Blitz podcast. Greg Pickle in the studio with me, Bob Flounders. We're going to talk about James Franklin's 2020 class early signing day taking place as we talk about it. We're going to get to the offensive cast of characters, maybe a sleeper or two and a standout or two, a defensive sleeper, maybe a defensive standout, and then we're going to wrap it up with the mailbag. Okay, Greg, Penn State's 2020. I got to remember, it's 2020, even though we're talking about it in 2019. Mm -hmm. The 2020 signing class. Just when you take a big picture look at it a little bit, what jumps out to you as the faxes roll in and the commitments come in for James Franklin and his Nittany Lions class? They were in on a couple of really good players they didn't get, but they also got some very good players in this class. Yeah, no doubt, Bob. I mean, I think you're going to remember this class one of two ways before the start of next season, and that's going to be for what could have been. And of course, we're talking about five-star receiver Julian Fleming, who ended up at Ohio State. And five-star defensive end Brian Brissy, who went to Clemson. And those are two guys that I think Penn State really thought they had a great chance at. I think Penn State fans, us in the media, were assuming almost that those two guys would be a part of this Penn State class. It doesn't work out that way. But, you know, it might say something even more to miss on the two biggest recruits in the region, two five-stars. They don't have a five-star in this class. They're still top 15 in the country. And I think... There's a lot of schools that would trade places with them. So if you want to look at it glass half full, glass half empty, I think this is a good class to do that with because you can say that, yeah, they're missing a lot and they missed out on some guys that could hurt them down the road, but they still were able to find some key pieces to uh, right. to bring in. Fair to say, though, that the Fleming decision to go to Ohio State and sign there stings a little bit more. Southern Columbia, oh, a yeah. player that Penn State had on their radar for the longest time, looked really good for a while. But it all changed in the last, I think, calendar year. Penn State loses out to him to the team they're really chasing in the Big Ten East and in the Big Ten overall. I mean, you, you've seen him a little bit. You know what kind of player he is. You know, just, just being unable to, to keep the best player in the state, you know, in, in the Penn State recruiting class. It hurts, and you look ahead to the next cycle, and it's not off to a great start there either. But the two kids out of Philly already verbaled to to Ohio State, yeah, of course it's things. I mean, you look at what James Franklin's message has always been since he came to Penn State, and what was it? Dominate the state, yeah. and they weren't able to do that. You know, they do get Zariah Fisher, who I think is a guy we'll talk about in a little bit, very underrated, out of Alakippa. It's a long time since Penn State Quips. got a guy out of there. Uh, he's a really good player. But, yeah, I mean, to lose the top player in the state, they lose Michael Carmody out of Mars to Notre Dame. I mean – you're not going to win every one of those, but mm-hmm. it is tough when, you know, again, you're talking about a five-star right in your backyard. In this case, literally right in Penn State's backyard. Yeah. And uh, he decides to go to the Buckeyes, and Penn State will have to see him at least once a year. So, you know, I got an email from a reader on Wednesday morning, signing day, and, you know, Penn State has 27 commits at this point. Again, no five-stars. And I'm a big recruiting rankings guy. I believe in yeah. those things. Uh-huh. I believe they tell you who is going to make the college football playoff, who has the best chance to year in and year out and long-term. But his point, and it's hard to argue with, and this isn't necessarily a Julian Fleming thing, but 
you know, his thought was, well, you guys said Justin Shorter was a five-star, and now he's gone <laughs> after just a season at Penn State, or two seasons at Penn State. So, you know, do you want to anoint Julian Fleming yeah. that quickly? Very good player. I know Penn State fans don't want to hear about him anymore, so we can move on. But I do understand that guy's point. Looking at this Penn State class, Bob, again, it's one that really didn't have that much drama. They do lose a couple of kids, Devin Willock to Georgia, Elijah Gaines, uh, safety D committed late in the process. They get Theo Johnson, the four-star tight end mm-hmm. from Canada. Big win there. You talk about not having to play a guy in the future. Iowa and Michigan were two very uh, heavy hitters involved in that recruitment. So they are able to snare him away. James Franklin hit it Wednesday morning. We're talking about lunchtime that you know they may have some surprises uh, saved up for the afternoon or maybe mm-hmm. before the signing period ends on uh, December 20th. You know, they've thought that before and it hasn't worked out. We'll have to wait and see if anything comes out of the clouds late, but overall, you know, it's a group you can certainly uh live with and celebrate if you're a Penn State fan. How much does James Franklin and his staff kind of credit to they deserve for they had to scramble I think in the spring when there's some players yeah. decommitted. They kind of kind of maybe reset the board a little bit, get some other players to kind of stockpile, just the ability of them to kind of get some losses in the program, but then turn around and add some players that were really quality players to the class. Yeah, they absorbed it well. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, there was a point there in June where, you know, they lost Josh Moat in the corner. Yeah. They lost Aaron Parks, the offensive right. tackle. They lost Grant Toutant, another offensive lineman. You know, it wasn't looking good for Fleming and Brissy at that point. Uh, and right. then, you know, for those few guys to decommit, you know, you were starting to get the sense of, is James Franklin and his staff going to respond? Yeah. They certainly did. I mean, they ran off that commitment stretch where it felt like every other day between June and August that they were landing a commitment. And it wasn't just, you know, nothing. not to say three-star guys don't produce. Hello, Trace McSorley. But, um, you know, they weren't just landing guys that were maybe further down their board. They were landing some of the, the top yeah. guys they had long been looking for in that stretch. So, yeah, they moved on well. I think we know, if we know anything about James Franklin, he always has a plan for positive things and negative mm-hmm. things. And this staff is just relentless when it comes to getting out on the road and recruiting or recruiting digitally via, you know, cell phones and Twitter and all mm-hmm. that. So not a surprise they were able to absorb those, but this was certainly, you know, James Franklin last two years ago described Micah Parsons' recruitment as a roller coaster. Yes. I think yes. it's fair to say this whole class was kind yeah. of a roller coaster year for them. Let's talk about the offensive players first. Theo Johnson looks like an obvious player that has a chance. I know t- tight end's fairly deep with Pat Fryermuth coming back, but he looks like a player that could be one of the better players in this class. Mm-hmm. Is there any other names that you really like in this class as far as guys that maybe could help the team early or really develop later into being like terrific players? Yeah, when you talk about the first group of guys who could contribute right away, there's three that come to mind. Kaziah Holmes, the running back athlete out of Florida. I Maybe as a returner, depending on, you know, I don't know if they're going to have to fill that role. We still don't know what K.J. Hamler is going to do. Yeah. He's eligible, of course, to leave for the draft if he wants to. Hasn't made a decision yet, at least uh, as we sit here and talk about it on signing day. So he's a guy that could, you know, play right away. And after we saw... What James Franklin and this staff did with the four running backs they had this year, what are they going to do with the six they have next year? Because right. Kevon Lee is another Florida right, back right. who signed in this class, so I'm not sure how they're going to play all of those guys. But I think we can assume, <laughs> based on what we saw this year, that there might be a concerted— Six-man running back rotation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that in eight months. Um, <laughs> and then the two rece- two of the receivers really stand out to me. Norval Black from Lackawanna is one that's going to have to add weight. Yeah. James Franklin was talking about something on signing day related to him getting some protein shakes. So I don't know if you'll see him right away, but two other guys in this class, Keandre Lambert and Parker Washington, it will surprise me if one of those guys— 
doesn't uh, you know see the field pretty early on. I just think that Washington especially is just so talented. It comes from a really talent-rich yeah. area of Texas. And I think is really a little bit under the radar. Got a four-star late in the process. Right. Keandre, Keandre Lambert led his team in Virginia to a state title. Penn State's had good success right. with former state title winners in Virginia. Trace McSorley again. So those are a few of the guys I think stand out on offense in this class. So I think Black is the guy that's like 6'1", 175, listed something he, like he's that. He's a little bit light up at Lackawanna, yeah. He's going to have to put some weight on if he's going to play in year one. So the opposite of Justin Shorter. Yes. Who was a cheeseburger away from 250 pounds. Yes. This is the guy that Penn State actually wants to put weight on. Right, absolutely. And I think that if you're wondering, and the one reason I would say he might be able to play right away is that Jaquan Brisker was kind of in that same spot, yeah. too, where he needed to add some weight if he was going to play safety for Penn State in 2019. Different positions, but mm-hmm. kind of the same path. And if Norville Black can add weight and follow maybe the same kind of training program that Jaquan Brisker did, both obviously former Lackawanna guys, maybe he'll work his way in the default too. All right, before we move on to Penn State's defensive signees, I think you have something, a little bit of news and a little bit of uh, a little, recommendations little bit of for, everything. Our, for our audience. It's the, uh, what, mid-December Penn State Blitz podcast. I know. We'll go with that, the early signing day edition. So we will be off next week for the holidays. I know. But we will be back from Dallas. So for the podcast, you can always find that at uh, wherever you get your audio and the videos, which we have a lot coming, either from Bowl Media Day or from the Cotton Bowl, right. youtube.com slash State. So... We will be active in Dallas, Bob. I know you're looking forward to it. I definitely am looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to that Sunday after the Penn State Cotton Bowl. Can't imagine why that would be. But uh, as as we move on to the defensive side, I know who my sleeper is. I know you're going to guess who that is. But let's talk about some of the guys, whether they're linebackers or, or, or what have you, that you really like in this class as potential early contributors. Yeah, I would like to know what they put in the water in Owing Mills, Maryland, because Penn State's now three for three from McDonough School down there. Yeah. Uh, it was P.J. Mustafer, who obviously came in and made an impact right away. Then it was Devon Ellis, who yep. you know I, I think is a guy that could maybe find his way into the defensive tackle mix as soon as this coming season. And now you have Curtis Jacobs, the highest-rated signee in Penn State's class of 2020. He's a four-star linebacker. If he wasn't coming into a place where there was Brandon Smith, Micah Parsons, Lance Dixon, right. Ellis Brooks, Jesse Lucetta, you could go on and on. I would say that he's probably a yeah. guy that will play from day one. I just wonder maybe if he doesn't fall into the Lance Dixon role where they use him on special teams, but they're you know getting so many touchbacks and stuff that it doesn't make sense to play him right away. Mm-hmm. But he looks tremendous. I mean, he's one of the more under the radar four star guys in terms of national hype I think I've ever come across. I mean, he's not he's he's been committed to Penn State for so long. He reminds me in a way of Keaton Ellis who didn't get a lot of love okay. because he was a state college guy. Obviously, Jacobs is not, but mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing. Committed to Penn State for a long time. No one's really looking at his senior film because there's no reason to because there's no chance to flip him, but I really like the development, you know, that we've seen from him during his high school career. Again, will he be roadblocked from playing as a freshman? It's certainly possible, but really tremendous talent. Okay, I'm just going to say the name. Yeah. I'm in on this guy. I think he has come a long way in a short time. Susquehanna Township, Fatuma, Mulba. Mm-hmm. Do you like him? And what do you Love think him. about his upside is? I mean, he's defensive just— Defensive lineman? I mean, yes, defensive lineman. He is just a big kid. And they're going to have to teach him how to play at that level mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't think there's any question about that. It's not his fault. He's only been playing football for two years. I think he's been—I think James Franklin said he's been in— the U.S. for just five. So, you know, he'll have a lot of adjustments to make at the college level, but you look at him, 
I mean, you just look look at his hands and look at his upper body, and you think, how in the world is this guy a senior in high school? I mean, he looks much older than that. He looks like a power lifter. So mm-hmm. I think he is uh, the highest ceiling in this class. I mean, mm-hmm. he is just I a like terrific. Hear that? He's a terrific talent. You know, I'm interested in J.R. Brown, the Lackawanna corner safety. Whether he can maybe come in and play from day one, they're going to have to replace some guys back there. Same goes for Enzo Jennings, a safety out of Michigan, another four-star. I just wonder if some of the turnover in the secondary might lead those guys to get a role like Keaton Ellis or Jerry Porter Jr. or Marquise Wilson had. Then the one that everyone probably is going to look over from just looking at things from a thousand. I know there's a lot of Penn State fans out there who love this kid, but Tyler Elston, the linebacker out of North Schuylkill, I mean... He is a sound player. If you look at what Jan Johnson did for Penn State, if you look at what maybe some of the other unheralded linebacker recruits have turned into mm-hmm. at Penn State, Bob, this guy has all the makings of one that he's not going to come in with Micah Parsons fanfare. Right. And maybe he'll never reach that level because few guys do. Right. But he is a very sound, fundamentally sound linebacker. And I think he's a guy to really keep an eye on. Again, maybe not right in 2020, but he'll make noise sooner rather than later. All right. I think it's time. Once again, for your favorite segment, mm-hmm. it's the Penn State mailbag. I don't know if it's going to be the Penn State 2020 recruiting mailbag, or you're going to go in a different direction. We can go in just about any direction we like. That's I have the one beauty. question for you, so why don't I start? All right. Is there any position you feel like they failed to address, or they're a little light? Um, we're not talking about quarterbacks. When you look at maybe needs, did James Franklin and his staff meet all of their needs? I think they did, but I think the one thing that jumps out at me, and James Franklin kind of alluded to this during the Penn State live stream on signing day, was that they continue to get good offensive and defensive line depth. But the one thing he said is that it's important to do that because the best programs, you know, the winning with them starts up front. They don't necessarily have a guy in this class who can make an impact from day one. And I Mm. think sometimes on the offensive line, sometimes on the defensive line, you expect that. But the next step for this program is to get a guy like a Brian Brissy who comes in from day one and announces his presence along either the defensive line or the offensive line. Now, having said that, getting Rasheed Walker turned around to play early was a good sign. I'm not forgetting about P.J. Mustaf or Etor Grossmeyer. I mean, there's been some guys that have played from day one. But to me, that's the next step is getting those Mm -hmm. high-impact top 20, top 15 guys up front on either side of the ball, that can make an early impact. But I think they hit most of what they were looking for here. I mean, again, if you're looking for one area a deficiency, it would probably just simply be the high-end talent. I mean, they have yeah. some really good players in this class. But, you know, again, it's you can't talk about this class. I know nobody wants to talk about it. But you can't talk about this class without noting the fact that they missed out on some pretty high-end guys locally. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, moving on, I guess it's my turn in the mailbag. Looking ahead to... The Cotton Bowl. Do you think it's more of a problem that Penn State has yet to name its offensive coordinator <laughs> or that Memphis is going to have not only an interim, well, I guess it's a full-time but first-time head coach right. in Ryan Silverfield, who's got the job officially replacing Mike Norville, but they don't have a defensive coordinator in place. Which side do you think that could be advantage for, disadvantage for? Is it a motivational factor at all? Does it matter to you? I don't know that it matters. I'm just curious to see what James is going to do as far as, as the play caller. You saw that after Joe Moorhead le- left following the 2017 regular season finale against Maryland, you know, Ricky Ronnie stepped in mm-hmm. and they, they, they totaled a lot of yards and they, a lot of points against Washington in the Fiesta Bowl. It helps when you have Saquon Barkley, you know, in the yeah. backfield and, and Deshaun Hamilton and Mike Kosicki to catch passes. 
But yeah, this team, you know, if you just look at uh, offensively how they kind of played down the stretch, struggled to get points against Ohio State because, you know, Clifford was hurt, mm-hmm. struggled to get points at home against Rutgers. So y- you would have to figure they're going to need some points against this Memphis team. They're going to have to be more proficient for four quarters. I don't know what he's going to do, but I do think I would slightly lean towards the Penn State offensive coordinator more than maybe what Memphis is going to do. Looking ahead to Bowl Media Day, which is this Ooh. Friday. So for those wondering, we'll get into this in the second half of the Penn State Blitz podcast or the second video this week in Penn State football at YouTube.com <laughs> slash all Penn State. But we'll get into a little bit of what happens now for the program, some news about the guy over your shoulder, Sean Clifford. Mm-hmm. But I, when you look ahead to Bowl Media Day, is there anything on what's the What is the biggest storyline around this team right now, not offensive coordinator related? Is it the details of James Franklin's contract right. extension? Is it depending decisions from guys like KJ Hamler mm-hmm. and Shaka Tony? Is it something else that's not on my radar? Yeah, What's your biggest uh, yeah. storyline going into no, that? It's day? clearly who's going to be the new offensive coordinator, you know, full time. Right. But beyond that, yeah, what else right. comes to mind? Yeah. I would, I would say it's the redshirt sophomore, KJ Hamler, and the juniors that have not really said whether they're staying or they're going. Right. I would say there's three, what we're talking about in KJ. Uh, we're talking about Shaka Tony, the defensive end, who was all. Uh, second team All Big Ten mm-hmm. and Tariq Castro Fields, who I think was also third team uh, All Big Ten, and you know has has some very very impressive physical skills when he puts everything together. We've heard from a, a, couple, a Penn State player, Will Fry, say he's coming back, and we never really we weren't really sure that he was leaving. Right. The fact that they've been all kind of silent, just kind of I think they're just kind of either they've either made a decision and they're waiting to release it at the right time, maybe after the bowl game, mm-hmm. or they're still uns- unsure. I would think the long-term status of those three players is, is clearly one of the bigger unknowns, I yeah. think, about this Penn State team. Because all three of those players would be very, very important, obviously, to the 2020 season. So they have until mid-January to make that call. Yeah. They'll get draft evaluations sometime over the next three weeks. So if guys are waiting for that, maybe uh, we'll learn more after the Cotton Bowl. But let's move on to uh, the next segment of the Penn State Blitz. It's going to be all about looking ahead to the Cotton Bowl. Okay, the Penn State Blitz podcast rolls on. Greg Pickle, I'm Bob Flounders. We just talked a lot, a lot about recruiting. Uh Now now it's time to talk about the Cotton Bowl, Penn State and Memphis. It's inching closer, and we're going to start with quarterback Sean Clifford and what they might call a little bit of a reveal. It looks like his injured status, he's healing quickly, and it looks like whatever was bothering, we think it was a lower leg injury or not positive, kept him out of the Rutgers game the second half of the Ohio State game. It looks like he might be okay to play. Yeah, so two things jump out at me as it relates to him moving into the postseason. One, they're going to let him talk at Bull Media Day in State College this week. Mm -hmm. Two, he said on the the school's live stream that he can't wait for the first chance to play in and start a New Year's Six game. So that kind of tells you all you need to know. Now, we've heard quotes before, like Noah Kane's 90%. They don't always mean uh, what we think they mean, but... The fact that James Franklin seemed to indicate after the Rutgers game that the treatment plan is what held Sean Clifford yeah. out, it seems like they could have done something to fix him in four days. Instead, they thought maybe you know a couple of weeks would be a better way to go about things. They knew they didn't need him to beat Rutgers. So, you know, I don't know if there was a lot of doubt about whether he would play in the Cotton Bowl, but there certainly seems to be less now than there's ever been ahead of this matchup with Memphis. 
Well, there still may, there still might be some doubt about if he's a hundred percent. Sure, because he could be ninety five percent. Well, if he was ninety percent, he wouldn't play. So we know yeah. he's somewhere between ninety and hundred if he does. <laughs> but you just wonder. The reason it's important is because his movement was clearly affected mm-hmm. by this injury. I, it showed up late in the Minnesota loss. I thought it showed up in the Ohio State game, and they finally had to kind of pull him. Right. James Franklin said he could have returned, but. He just couldn't do enough, and Sean admitted that. They, they stuck with Will Levis. Will got the start against Rutgers. Did some okay things. Struggled, I think, to throw the ball. I guess the bigger question is, do they need a Sean Clifford at close to 100% to beat Memphis? Well, you know, my first thought about this Memphis game back when this announcement was made was that they were going to play for Ryan Silverfield, the, at that time, interim head coach yeah. of the team, because – if you looked at some of the social media stuff the Memphis players were putting out there when Mike Norville left for yeah. Florida State, mm-hmm. it was very clear that there were a lot of guys who wanted Ryan Silverfield to get this job. So it seemed like a tremendous motivational angle for the Tigers. Well, now he has the job. It's already his. They made him officially the new head coach late last week. So that's out the window. I mean, will they need a, a fully healthy Sean Clifford? You know, you made a good point earlier in the, the Blitz podcast is that there were times they struggled to put points up with or without a healthy Sean yeah. Clifford. So, you know, but then again, Will Levis came in and scored more points on Ohio State than some other teams have this year, albeit with some short field. So Memphis will be motivated for this game. There's no doubt. I do think Penn State will be, too. I think one thing we're going to continue to hear between now and kickoff is how many of these guys were impacted by how that loss to Kentucky felt last year. And what it was like to go from January until August with no chance of winning a game again. I think that's a huge uh, factor for this game for Penn State. We'll get into our picks next week, of course. I like them to win. I like them to cover. So uh, more on that later. But, uh, you know, do they need them to be fully healthy? I think they need to be close to it. Memphis won't just roll over. But, you know, certainly they'll have a talent advantage in that game. I think two more things to touch on here. One more injury we need to talk about is Etor Gross Matos. This is going to be... He's going into the 2020 NFL draft after his second consecutive first-team All-Big Ten season, but he was definitely not healthy down the stretch for Penn State. Hurt in the Ohio State game, didn't play against Rutgers. I think he was in a sling. Yep. You know, the big picture is the draft. What do we think about maybe him being ready to play or playing at all in this game? Yeah, I mean, the fact that his uh, NFL draft entry statement said that he was looking forward to suiting up one more time in the bowl indicates that he would like to play. Right. Now. Whether the medical people and everyone else will advise him uh, yeah. to do that is a completely different story. And I would expect that unless the sling was precautionary only, if it was precautionary only, yeah, I'll probably play. Yeah. If there was something that has a procedure or something yeah. like that, you know, it's just he has to ask himself, especially if a senior bowl invite might be called, you know, now that they invite juniors to that game now, he just has to ask himself, I mm. think, does he want to risk not being 100% for any available, you know, any chance he might have to showcase his skills before the combine. So, you know, that's the question he'll have to ask himself. But it seems like if he's healthy, he wants to play. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of factors involved, too. Yeah, and Penn State's defensive line just isn't going to be the same Correct. Uh, without him. Great player at Penn State for the last two years. Potential first-round pick in the 2020 draft. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we haven't seen the last of Etor Gross Matos. Hopefully, he's going to suit up against the Memphis Tigers. I got that nickname right. Uh, one final thing, just a note, Penn State AD Sandy Barber kind of offered her first real yeah. comments on the decision to extend James Franklin through the 2025 season. The details were still 
kind of searching we'll for. We'll get him eventually. But we think it's going to be more, obviously more money for James, probably more money for the assistant coaches, facility upgrades, all that good stuff. But she kind of issued a statement about why it was important to yeah. keep James long-term. Yeah, she was talking on their signing day stream and said, look, we think he prioritizes the right things, that there's not anybody better to lead this football program. And how do you, I mean, I think you'd be hard-pressed. Even the most, uh, you know, the staunch uh, uh, people that don't like James Franklin or the way he coaches or his in-game decisions, I think if you really took a step back and right. thought about it, you would be hard-pressed to right. find somebody who checks as many boxes as you need to check to run a college football program in 2019 as James Franklin does. And if you need any evidence of it, just watch the way he interacts with the recruits that sign, and you know those interactions continue once those kids get to campus. So, yeah, we'll find out his terms eventually, but you know, she said what you would expect her to say. And again, as we've talked about before, I do think – We'll learn more about what he got in the extension, mm-hmm. not by looking at the basic term sheet, which will tell us his salary, but probably not all the details they agreed to. I think we'll learn more about that once we see what kind of offensive coordinator right. they get. That's right. And the indication, because they won't probably release that guy's salary, but of course not. the level of candidate they get will probably tell you all you need to know about what kind of assurances or additional opportunities that extension afforded him. Literally afforded him. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.